This is the Edify Podcast for the servant. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Hosea 10 and verse 12. Because the Jews were a nation of farmers, Scripture often refers to their occupation to illustrate its points. The prophet Hosea employed this strategy to tell the Jews they were becoming a nation of backsliders. He he reproved them for their idolatry, and he threatened them with the judgments of God. A revival consists of two parts, that which concerns the church and that which concerns the unsaved. What I want to speak about uh, here is... Uh, the revival in the church. Fallow ground is, is ground that has once been tilled, but that now lies waste. It needs to be broken up and mellowed before it is again ready to receive any kind of grain that will produce any kind of fruit. So let's talk about softening the heart for just a moment. If you want to break up the fallow ground of your heart, you must begin by looking at yourself. Examine and note the state of your mind. See where you are. Many people never seem to think about this. They, they pay no attention to their own hearts. They never know whether they're doing well in their faith or not. They do not know whether they are gaining ground or going backward, whether they are fruitful or whether they are going to waste. So now was the time to divert your attention from other things and look into this. Make a point to do this as a preacher, as an elder deacon, a uh, shepherd. This is... Uh, imperative for you to do. We can be so busy with the work of God that we leave God out of our work. We can be so busy uh, that we're too busy. Uh, don't, don't be in a hurry. Thoroughly examine the state of your heart. See where you are. Check to see if you are walking with God every day or whether you're walking with the devil. Self-examination is looking at your life. It's, 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 it is considering your actions in the past, learning the true character of your life, you know, there, there's a difference between uh, a mistake and a character flaw. Mistakes happen. Character flaws is something that needs a total U-Haul, a total rearranging. So look over your personal history. Examine your individual sins one by one. And I don't mean for you to glance at your past life, see that it has been full of sins, and then go to God and make a general confession. That's that's not the way. You have to look at each sin one by one. It is a very good idea to take a pen and a paper as you go over them, write each sin down as it occurs. Go over it carefully. Uh, as as a merchant would go over his books, I mean, each time you, you sin or a sin comes to your mind, add it to the list. General confession of sin is not going to be good enough. Your sins were committed one by one. They should be reviewed and repented of one by one. So now begin and review... Um, what are, I guess, commonly but improperly called sins of omission. And that's our neglect. So as we think about softening our heart, we, we want to look at our neglect first. There is a sense of uh, ingratitude. Write down under this, this heading all the times that you can remember when you have received favors from God for which you have never thanked Him. How many cases can you remember? I mean, perhaps you remember... A very remarkable provision where God provided something, something wonderful, a wonderful turns, turn of events uh, that realistically saved you from ruin. Write, write down the instances of God's goodness to you when you were in sin, before maybe before your conversion, for which you've never been thankful enough. And I don't know that there is a statement or a, a confession or a prayer or anything that can be enough um, but but the reality is don't don't forget the the numerous mercies that you have received since then how how long is the list of times 
when you're in gratitude has been so lacking that you want to hide your face in shame. You know, if you're preaching the gospel week in and week out and Bible classes and counseling and meeting with people and Bible studies and all these things, you have so much more to be thankful for than you have to be not thankful for. Uh, God has answered your prayers in more ways than you can count than he has not answered your prayers in the affirmative, or he has answered them the way that he thought to be providentially best for you, which was best for you. Um, but but we, we can have a huge list of, of things where we never thanked God. Uh, we never thanked him personally for this situation here. Lord, thank you for our blessings. Well, that's 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 junk okay that's junk that's that's half-hearted that's off the cuff that's not really appreciative um we we all need to be considerate of that go go down on your knees uh confess the times one by one to god ask forgiveness the very act of confession by the laws of suggestion will bring similar sins to mind i mean that's just just how it works write these things down write them down review them three or four times uh this the same way and see what astonishing uh number of mercies there are for which you have never thanked God. Not only that, but look at your lack of love for God. Um, and, and this may not be something that you're guilty with, but there are people in your church where you are, where you labor, where you, where you shepherd, where you serve, where you preach, uh, where you minister, where there's a lack of love for God. There's ingratitude. There's a lack of love. Think how, how grieved and alarmed you would be if you discovered any lessening of affection f- for you in your spouse uh, or in your children. If you saw another engrossing their hearts, if you, if you saw somebody else taking up their thoughts and their time, you would be hurt. You would be a jealous hurt. And, and we, we all know that God is a jealous God concerning that way, that he has betrothed us to his, his son, the groom Christ. And so we, we are married to this relationship. We are bound to this relationship. So, and perhaps in, just in such a case, you would feel that you would die or, 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 or you would die of a just and virtuous jealousy. It just burns within you. So in a similar way, God calls himself a jealous God, Exodus 20 and verse 5. Have you not given your heart uh, to others, to other loves, and infinitely offended him? Have you done that? Is that something that you're guilty of? Or is that that something that that your members are guilty of? That's questions that we need to be asking first ourselves and second to the others. So not only ingratitude and a lack of love for God, a lack of um, infatuation for God, but then, but then a neglecting of simple Bible reading. I mean, realistically, this is how God changes the world through teaching, through this Word. So note the cases that when for perhaps weeks or longer, reading God's Word was not a pleasure. Some people read whole chapters so carelessly that they cannot even remember anything that they have been reading. So if that's you and you're one of these persons who wants to read the Bible in a year and that's all you're worried about is reading the Bible in a year, that's, that's half-hearted. That's not going to do you any good. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's not the right reason. I don't want to master the Scriptures. I want to be mastered by them. And so just breezing right through them and blazing through my seven chapters a day is just for the sake of blazing through the seven chapters a day. That's, that's vain and that's empty. Um, we don't want to be about that. No wonder life is without purpose and your religion is a sham and you feel uh, a miserable failure because you're not properly adequately loving the Lord and being grateful for his word and spending time with him. 
So note the instances of unbelief that you have. Recall the times when you have virtually charged the God of truth with lying about your unbelief (laughs) or lying by your unbelief uh, in his promises, in his declaration. God God has promised to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, Luke 11, 13. So, so do you believe that? Have you expected him to answer? Have you not virtually said in your heart uh, when you've prayed um, through the Holy Spirit, um, through through Jesus Christ? Both are making intercession in our prayers. Jesus is the mediator. Uh, do you not believe when you pray? If you have not believed or expected to receive the blessing that God has uh, you know, specifically promised, you, you have accused him of lying. And you don't want to be about that. We're, we're, in, the, we're in the midst of, of restoration and reviving of sorts, and we want that to happen for us. So that has to begin, as I mentioned last week, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And this is how he does this, through, through prayer, through, through the reading of his word. This is, this is his work. Let him have his work on and in you. But he, he, he's limited. He's so limited to just good morals and providential situations when you're not in his word and listening to him every single day. Then is the, the next idea is the thought of prayer, neglecting prayer. Think of the times that when you've neglected secret prayer or family prayer or maybe your congregation gets together to pray uh, in the small groups or you have just a prayer service. May we not be neglectful of prayer. May we be aware and and realizing that we have been neglectful in, in any in all, all those kinds of ways but not only that but this this idea of a poor spiritual attitude the way you have the, the way you have I guess performed uh, your spiritual duties can also reflect a poor attitude um, if, if for example a person can pray with a lack of faith uh, or a lack of feeling uh, in a world and, and, and do so in a worldly frame of mind so that the words are nothing more but chatter it's just it's just rambling. So somebody who prays this kind of lifeless, careless prayer would, would not be able to give a reason uh, for his or her prayers. That's a poor spiritual attitude. But also a lack of love for the souls of others. Look at your friends, your relatives, and, and remember how little compassion you have felt for them, little action that you've taken to help them. You, you've stood by, you've watched them going realistically right on their way to hell, and, and it seemed as though that you did not care how many days have have their being in your life and you have failed to pray about their sinful situation and their condition and, and show any ardent desire for their salvation? Do you lack a love for the lost? Or or do you have a lack of concern for unbelievers? I mean, that's that's also another case. I mean, perhaps you've not cared enough for unbelievers to attempt to learn about their condition. Perhaps you will not even subscribe to, you know, uh, their life or, or, or you know, some kind of... Um, mission initiative where you are you are bound to this i mean look look at these these factors and see how much you really care for the lost what are you actually doing for them are you are you supporting missionaries are you able to go and do yourself are you leaving tracks around are you leaving church cards at every restaurant that you go to write down your true concern for them and your desire for their salvation measure your desire for their salvation measure it by the self denial that you partic- that you practice to help send them the gospel you know, all these things are necessary to be concerned for the lost. I can't expect revival if I have no concern for the lost, including my own soul. But then this this major function here, I guess a, a major step, and, and this is a booger, and always has been. It's one of the worst of sins, and it's the sin of hypocrisy. Do you deny yourself the luxuries of life? 
do you, you know, economize? Are you unwilling to subject yourself to any inconvenience to save the lost? Do you pray for them daily in, in private? Are you praying with the correct attitude for the right reasons? You know, are you just trying to grow the church? Are you trying to keep your job? Are you really concerned that they're lost and they're going to go to hell and that upsets you? Are you praying with the correct attitude? If, if you're not doing these things and your soul is not agonized for the unsaved, why are you such a hypocrite pretending to be a Christian? Jake, your practice of your faith is an insult to Jesus Christ when it's filled with hypocrisy and you're not mentioning Jesus at every opportune time that you may have. This isn't to say that you stand on the street corner with a sign and, and hold up the name Jesus, but this is where you contemplate, you prayerfully, you, you consider the timing. What is the best time to, to mention Jesus to these persons in front of me? I can't be faithful to Jesus if I'm not aware and, and awoke to that. I mean, I mean, consider Paul. Paul was a human being who was in love with his Lord. What do you do with a person like that? Well, nothing. You just let them work. I don't want to be a hypocrite, and you don't either. And this is one of the ways that we can be. If we don't have any concern for the lost, we're hypocrite. We are liars, and we live a false gospel. So not only these things, but but when you and I neglect our family or private duties, think of, think of how we've lived. Think of how you've lived putting yourself before your family. Have you prayed? Or how have you prayed? What example have you set before them? What direct efforts do you habitually make for their spiritual good? What duties have you neglected? Are you watchful of your own life? Think of how you hurried through your private duties, never really checking yourself or keeping your account straight with God. How often have you, you entirely neglected to watch your conduct or, and, and having uh, been off your guard, sinned before the world and the church and God? What about neglecting to watch over fellow believers? I mean, it is wrong to neglect to watch over your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to understand that. How often have you broken your covenant to watch over them in the Lord? How little do you know or care about their state of their souls? I mean, you and I are under a solemn oath to watch over them. What have you done to become acquainted with them? With, with how many of them have you taken enough interest to know their spiritual states? Go over the list. And wherever you find there has been neglect, write it down. How many times have you seen your fellow believers growing cold in faith and not spoken to them about it? Have you seen them beginning to neglect one duty after another? They've been gone for four or five weeks from the worship service of the church. Where are they? Have you not in any kind of loving way reproved them, uh, sought to encourage, sought to help? Or maybe it's the case a rebuke is needed, but yet you pretend to love them? You've seen them falling in sin and you let them go and you pretend to love them. What a hypocrite I am if I'm guilty of that. Would you watch your spouse or your child go into disgrace or fall into the fire and hold your peace? No, you would not. What do you think of yourself then when you pretend to love Christians and Christ while you watch your brothers and sisters fall into disgrace without saying anything? What about the neglect of self-denial? How, how, well, let's ask this question or, or make this statement. There, there are many who are willing to do almost anything in faith as long as it does not require self-denial. When they are required to do anything that requires them to deny themselves, that is asking too much. They think that they're doing a lot for God as much as he can reasonably ask. They're unwilling to deny themselves any comfort or any convenience for the sake of serving the Lord. They're not, they will not willingly suffer disgrace 
For the name of Jesus Christ, nor will they deny themselves the luxuries of life to save a world from hell. They have no idea that self-denial is a condition of discipleship. They, they don't even know what, what self-denial is. You and I, have we never really denied ourselves even a trinket for Christ in the gospel? Some people give great sums of money, and they do not feel the loss because their offering comes out of their surplus. These people often have the audacity to complain about others who give less than they, yet those uh, about whom they complain may be given out of what they need. The poor woman who puts in her dollar has shown more self-denial than, than, than some rich person have has in giving his hundreds or thousands. So these are sins of omission, where we, where we willfully don't act where we should. But also reflecting on active sin choices, and this is these these may be more more prominent, more that we see. We may not have problem with these as much. We have more about the ones of omission where we fail to do something, but we're just as guilty. I mean, think about active sin choices. I mean, worldliness comes to mind. That's a that's a broad term. What has been the state of your heart in regard to your worldly possessions? Have you looked at them as really yours, or as if you had a right to dispose of them as your as your own? according to your own will. If you have, you know, write that down. This is a sin that I have done. If you have loved property and sought after it for its own sake to gratify to gratify your own personal lust, your own personal ambition, your own worldly spirit, or to lay it up for your family, you, you have sinned. Everything is for the glory of God. And I need to be careful. God has given us this world to enjoy and for pleasure, but for the sake of His glory. With the possessions that I do receive, the possessions that I do go out and buy, the things I do, the finances that I use that God gives to me, am I giving Him glory for all of this stuff? Do I give Him glory for the way that it makes me feel? If not, that that position of worldliness and just consummation for the sake of consummation is sinful. How about pride? No, I don't have an issue of pride. <laughs> that sounds like you're, you're mighty proud of that, you know? Remember all the instances you can when you have found yourself acting or thinking with pride. Vanity is a particular form of pride. I mean, how many times have you been vain about your dress and appearance? How many times have you thought more about or taken more trouble uh, and time decorating your body to go worship than preparing your mind to go worship? When have you, you know, attended worship or went to church, we would say, you've cared more about how you appeared physically to other people than how your soul appeared to the heart-searching God. You have, in fact, set yourself up to be worshipped by other people rather than to worship God yourself. You, you sought to divide the worship of God's house, to draw attention of God's people to your outward appearance. Don't, do not pretend that you do not care anything about having people to look at you. Be honest about it if this is true. Would you take all this time with your looks if every person were blind? Mm. What about envy? Look at the times when you and I were envious of those who you thought were above you in any way. Perhaps you have you have envied those who are more talented, more useful than yourself. Have you not have you not so envied some people that you could not stand to hear them praised? It has to be more pleasant to you to dwell on their faults rather than their virtues, their failures rather than their successes. Be honest with yourself. If you have harbored the spirit of hell, and that's all that it is, repent deeply before God, or he will never forgive you. What about a critical spirit? I get, I get this one some. 
Uh, I get this one from other people. If you preach, you understand this, but we need to be guilty, or we not, we need not be guilty ourselves, rather. Remember the times that you have had a bitter spirit and spoken of Christians in a manner that did not show charity, did not show love. Love requires you to hope the best that a situation will permit and believe the best about any questionable conduct that you have heard. Don't believe something because somebody has said it. What about slander? Are there times that you have spoken unnecessarily about the faults, real or imagined, members of the church, others who, um, you know, are there and you spoke behind their backs? This is this is slander. You do not need to lie to be guilty of slander. Telling the truth with the intent to injure is slander. A lack of respect. How often have you been lighthearted before God as you would not have dared to be in the presence of an earthly ruler? Perhaps you've been an atheist and, and forgotten that there is a God. Or perhaps you, you, you have had uh, less respect for him and, and, his, and his presence than you would show toward an earthly judge. What about lying or cheating or hypocrisy? or there, The list can go on and on. The reality is, is that we're robbing God. We're robbing God. Think of the times that you've, you've, you've misspent your time squandering the hours that God gave you to serve for him and, and, and for the souls of man. Maybe you spend too much time with idle pastimes, more than working to bring people to Jesus. Maybe you do absolutely nothing. Think of the cases where you have misapplied your talents and mental powers. You've squandered money on your on your lust, or you spend it for things that you did not need, that, that did not contribute to your health or comfort or youthful, usefulness. What about a bad temper or hindering others from being useful? That's a real deal. That can happen. Let's be sure that we remove roadblocks that we have. Write these sins down. Talk about them. I know today's podcast has been lengthy, but it, it, it requires these things, a self-examination. We need to ask ourselves, call, call the herd. Call, what do we got? What's what's in the account? What have we done? What Where have we lacked? Where have we gained? What's, what's wrong? What is right? Removing roadblocks to, to increase faith is necessary. Break up all the ground. Turn it over. Do not balk. Do not turn away because of little difficulties. Drive the plow right through them. Go deep and turn turn the ground up so that it will all be mellow and soft. Then it will be ready to receive the seed and bear fruit a hundredfold. When you have thoroughly gone over your whole history as best as you can in this way, Go over the ground a second time, paying special attention. You're going to find things that, that you put down that are going to suggest sins that you forgot about, things that you're guilty of. These these new ones are usually connected with the original offenses. Then, then go over it a third time, and you'll remember other things. You'll, you'll find in the end that you can remember particular actions that you did not think you would remember even in eternity. So unless you consider your ways and your sins in this way, in detail, one by one, you cannot comprehend their number. They're probably too vast to count anyway, but we need to make an accurate, uh, as best as we can, approach to our stewardship of God. You should go over this list thoroughly, carefully, seriously, as if you would preparing yourself for the final judgment. And as you go over the catalog of sins that, that you're guilty of, make a resolution to reform your ways right now. Wherever you find anything wrong, resolve at once in the strength of God to sin no more in that way. It will not benefit you to examine yourself unless you decide to change every fault that you find in your heart, your temper, and your conduct. Because see, what happens is, is sin blocks joy. Sin blocks our joy. It's, it's painful. 
If, as you proceed with this project, you find that your spirit is still not rejoicing, search yourself. You're going to see that there's still sin that's blocking your full awareness of God and, and, and enjoying His Spirit and enjoying His truth and enjoying His love. The lack of joy is your signal that you have not been faithful and thorough. Your self-examination requires a full attack. It is not a, a gentle pastime. It is tearing sin away from yourself, revealing what can be painful. Don't expect God to go in there and miraculously break up your fallow ground for, for you. You've got to actively participate. You've got to submit to His will. You've got to look accurately at yourself. Take note of your sin. You will definitely feel something. You cannot see your sins for what they are without deeply feeling something. Then have an outward activity, uh, an outward joy, a thanking of God for forgiveness. Look, look to Him. Cling to Him. This is when... This is when revival starts. Those who profess to be Christians should never be so self-satisfied that they expect to start a revival in their heart by suddenly jumping out of their sleep, burst, blustering about and talking to sinners. They must break up their own fallow ground. If your fallow ground is broken up, then the way to get more zest is to go out and see sinners on the road to hell, talk to them, and guide those inquiring souls. You may get excited without this breaking up of your fallow ground. You, you may show a kind of zeal, but it will not last long, and it will not take hold of sinners unless your heart is broken up, unless you are right with God, you're filled with His Spirit, your work will be mechanical and fruitless. And now, will you break up that fallow ground? Will you clear your heart before God and preserve until you are thoroughly awake? If you fail here, if you do not do this, you will not get any further. Without a heart ready to receive the fullness of Jesus again, the rest of this thought of revival on this podcast is worthless to the listener. It's only going to harden you. It's only going to make you worse. If you do not start working on your heart immediately, uh, one can say that you have no intention of being revived. You have forsaken your ministry. Um, you're letting other people fight the battle alone. If you don't do this... If you do not do this, I charge you with having forsaken Christ, Jake Sutton, with refusing to repent and work for good. Prepare your heart for revival. Go in there and break up that fallow ground. Have a heart ready to receive revival. Ask God and do what's necessary to receive that. May God bless us. May God forgive us. May we be awoken to our sin, to see it clearly, to see it plainly. Repent of it. Rebuke ourselves sharply for being poor stewards of what God has done, what he's given to us. Let's take our holiness seriousness, fellas. Let's end this podcast with a prayer. Holy God, you are good and you are wise and you are kind. And as human beings, we are dirt. And we are thankful that you remember that. Just as Job said, Father, remember that we are just dust. We're thankful that you know that. We're thankful that you see our, our poor state, and you've looked in on us in our poor state. And you have forgiven us. Father, if there's anybody listening who has not sought revival, who has not sought you, help us. Help them to break up their fallow ground. Help them to, to soften their heart. Help them to be about self-examination, looking deeply looking intently. Lord, we love you. And we ask all this through Jesus. Amen.